0: An elderly woman was well, well known for her faith and her boldness in sharing her faith. She would come out on her front porch. She'd put her hands up and yell, praise God, praise God. Well, she had an elderly neighbor next door to her that hated that. So when the old lady of faith would put her arms up and yell, praise God, the next door neighbor would yell over, there is no God. And this go on every day. Well, hard times came on the old lady of faith, she comes out on her front porch, she says, praise God, I need some food, I'm having a hard time, please God, send me groceries. Well, the next morning she comes out on the front porch and there's a large bag of groceries. So she immediately puts her hands up, says, praise God. Well, the old lady next door jumps out from behind a bush and says, aha, I told you there is no God, I bought those groceries. The old lady just looks at her, she starts dancing around in circles, jumping up and down, then she finally stops, puts her hands up and says, praise God, you sent me groceries and you made the devil pay for them, praise God. I don't know if that's the faith of Moses or Noah, but I just like that story. In Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, the second habit states that you should begin with the end in mind. And the book goes on to say the beginning with the end in mind is based on imagination. It's the ability to envision in your mind what you can't presently see with your eyes. There's a mental creation that happens first in your mind before the physical, actual creation happens. Picture it this way, it would be like having a blueprint. That's what's in your mind, but it's not here yet. And then comes the building or a house. Well, this ability to envision in your mind what you can't see right now sounds a whole lot like the first verse of Hebrews chapter 11 that Pastor Dave shared with us last week. So let's look at that to get started. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You can't see it but I'm confident, I'm confident that it's gonna happen. So getting back to this habit, beginning with the end in mind, Mr. Covey could have learned a lot about this habit from the life of Moses. Moses lived his life with the end in mind. And one of the verses that we're gonna look at tonight tells us that Moses lived his life looking ahead to his reward. His faith that pleased God directed his path on how he lived his life and it guided all of his decisions. Now remember, remember this point. We're gonna look through this lens tonight at the story of Moses and how he became known as one of the heroes of our faith. Now this Hall of Fame faith that Moses had is not just for us in our individual lives. God is looking for that type of faith in his churches. So what would that mean for Eastside? Well, for the past nine weeks, you and I have been praying about our financial giving for the Home Improvement Project. And whether you realize this or not, that project started with the end in mind. We're doing these improvements as a church body because we're looking ahead to our reward. And you may say, well, what's our reward in this? Well, I can think of at least two. The first one is, I think this is gonna please God. We're making his house beautiful. We're bringing glory and honor to him. And we're sacrificing. The money that we're giving to this, we could have used on ourselves. The second thing, the second reward that we have is that we have hope. And what are we hoping for? That God is gonna bring more and more people in here that aren't currently here. And more and more people are gonna come to Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord and be baptized and be sealed for eternity and salvation. That more and more people are gonna come here and decide they wanna become disciples and learn how to conform their lives to the likeness of Jesus. So this isn't even really for us, folks. What we're doing is for the people that aren't here yet. So my question is, do you believe God will bring the people, because I do. He's already bringing them. If you've ever been here at 11 o'clock for a Sunday service, you know that he's bringing people here. I hope this reward motivates all of us to give sacrificially, above and beyond our tithes, so that we can join God in the exciting work that he's doing here at Eastside. So may we all be faithful in what God calls us to do. Well, tonight we're gonna continue with our study titled Blind Man Man Walking. Last week we looked at Noah. This week we look at the life of Moses. We probably know more about the full life of Moses than we do any other person in the Bible. And I'm gonna share a few stories from his life that highlight his faith that pleased God. And as you hear these stories and you think about the difficult decisions Moses made throughout his life, his choices only make sense if you understand that Moses lived his life looking ahead to his reward. So in the spirit of the habit that I just shared with you, let's start with the end in mind. Well, the end that Moses had in mind was his reward. What, what was that? Well, remember, this is 1500 years before Jesus left his Father's side in heaven to come and be born in a manger. So there is no salvation through Christ for Moses, at least not yet. The Jews at that time knew nothing of heaven. They had a very foggy view at best of the afterlife, but I'm confident that Moses did believe in an afterlife and that there was something better for him. There's no Bible, not yet. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, but he hasn't done that yet in where we're studying But he does have the story of creation. He has the story of the patriarchs, and really important, he has the promise that God made to Abraham, the covenant that he made to him. But he doesn't have the Holy Spirit inside of him. He has so fewer resources than you and I have today to know God, to know about God, and to know about his reward. Moses, like Noah, was really a blind man walking. Now, all that being said, Moses still lived looking ahead to his reward that he couldn't see yet. And let's look at his reward. And there were two parts to it. The first part is the part he experienced in his life as he lived, pleasing God. And I've listed there God's way, Moses chose to live his life God's way, not his own way, because he knew that pleased God. And that pleased Moses to please God. He made his relationship with God the number one thing in his life. The second part is the future that I've put the best is yet to come. And I listed promised land, blessing tall, and afterlife. This speaks to the Abrahamic covenant that I just talked about a minute ago. So, in the book of Genesis, Abraham receives a promise from God. He promises them land. They will receive promised land at some point. He also tells Abraham, You are going to be my chosen nation. I'm going to bless all people and all nations through you. Moses knew this promise. And as I've already said, he had a belief in the afterlife. So this is what motivated Moses and directed the choices that he made throughout his life. Remember Hebrews 11.6 that we learned last week. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, Moses aimed to live a life of faith that pleased God. So now that we know the, the, the reward that Moses was living for, let's dig into tonight's lesson. So we're in Hebrews chapter 11, the Faith Hall of Fame chapter, and we're gonna be looking at verses 24 through 28, total of five verses, and as we look at these verses, I'm gonna share four specific choices that Moses made to keep his focus on the reward. Moses' life can be a blueprint for all of us in how to live a life of faith that pleases God. So let's look at the first two verses. Sorry about that. Moses lived his life looking ahead to his reward because he chose to live his life God's way. And we're going to look at verses 24 and 25. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I want to share the back story here, and it's a story that many of you in here know, but it's a good story, and it's worth hearing again, it will make these two verses make a lot more sense. So right before Moses' birth, a new Egyptian pharaoh, a king, comes into power, and the Israelites have now been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years, and there are a lot of them, and the number is growing every day. And Pharaoh does not like what he's seeing because he's seeing if there's a problem in the country, there may be more Israelites here than we could handle if we ever went to war. So Pharaoh decides to issue an order. Every Hebrew boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile, but they let the girls live. So Pharaoh's going to kill every Hebrew boy born. That edict was in place when Moses was born. Moses was facing persecution before he was ever born. So fast forward three months. Moses' mom and dad and his two siblings, Aaron and Miriam, they have ignored Pharaoh's command. They did not throw Moses in the Nile. So they're risking their lives keeping him. And they've been able to keep him a secret so far. So let's look at this verse in Exodus chapter 2. But when she could hide him no longer, this is Moses' mom, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Now this is when the story gets really good. This is one of my favorite Bible stories of God just destroying evil, taking something that was meant for bad and he makes good of it. But think of the faith that it would take to put your little baby in a boat and send it down the Nile away from you, probably to be killed, definitely to never be seen again. And of all places, she puts his little basket, his ark, like Noah's ark, In the area where Pharaoh's daughter is bathing. Now, the Bible says that Pharaoh's daughter hears Moses crying and takes pity on him. She knows that he's one of the Hebrew baby boys. She is the one who actually named Moses. Moses didn't get that name from his birth mother. Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses, which means to draw, to draw out of the water. So, pop quiz here. Who is it that's trying to kill Moses and all the Hebrew baby boys? that would be Pharaoh, who just saved Moses out of the Nile River? Pharaoh's daughter. So, a little irony there. Moses' sister, Miriam, is standing on the bank of the river watching all this. So Miriam speaks up and says, hey, you want me to get one of the Hebrew moms to uh, nurse him for you? And she says, yes, go. Go. Guess where Miriam goes? She goes back to her mom. She goes back to Moses' mom. Moses' mom is now coming back to meet Pharaoh's daughter, and Pharaoh's daughter looks at her and says, take this baby, nurse him, and I'll pay you. I mean, think about this. Moses' mom puts him in a little boat and sends him away thinking that he's, he's gone. But she has faith and she has hope that God will somehow save her son. And probably less than an hour later, Pharaoh's daughter is handing Moses back to her and says, raise him and I'll pay you. She's paying him now to raise her own son. Public enemy number one's daughter did this. What would that do to your faith if you were Moses' mom? What, what do you think that did to Moses' faith? Because he probably heard this story a thousand times as he grew up. So, mom nurses him. And I don't have time to get into the specifics of this, but this was really interesting to me. I just assumed that mom nursed him for probably two or three years and then took him to Pharaoh's daughter. All of the research that I did, and I did a lot, leads me to believe Moses was probably between 10 and 12 years old before he went to Pharaoh's daughter. I even watched a a sermon that John MacArthur preached, and that dude knows a whole lot more than I do, and he came to the same conclusion. Well, why does this matter? Why does it matter that he was 10 or 12? Because that means that mom and dad had impact on Moses for many more years than I realized. Moses stayed in his childhood home and learned the Hebrew culture and religion for possibly 10 years longer than I assumed and was probably reminded of how God saved him every day in that home. Parents, we can't pass down our faith and our beliefs, but we can demonstrate it and talk about it to our kids. Moses' mom and dad knew that they did not have him for long because he was promised to Pharaoh's daughter. They poured into him while they could so that he would know that he was a child of the promise that God gave to the nation of Israel through Abraham that I've already mentioned. And that's the same God who saved his life in that little ark on the Nile River. But at some point, mom has to take Moses back to Pharaoh's daughter as her adopted son. And I'm sure that she was overjoyed that Moses' life was spared. But think how hard that would be to give your son away a second time. And we don't know this from scripture because it's not explicitly stated in the text, but my guess is that mom and dad, when they took him back, in their hearts, they're probably thinking we're giving him a better life. They didn't have a choice, but I'm sure they probably told themselves, we're giving him a better life. No more slavery. He's gonna move from the outhouse to the penthouse because he's gonna live in the palace now. He'd receive the best education possible in the world. He would learn multiple languages and he'd experience a life that he'd never be able to experience as a Hebrew. But mom and dad taught him to believe in God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God brought Moses back once before. Maybe God would do it again. So with all of that context, I'm gonna put verse 24 back up, and let's look at this again. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, leave that up for a second. I've got one other little detail that I want to point out here. We know what that phrase, when he had grown up, means. Because in Acts 7.23, it's written, when Moses was 40 years old. So, by faith, when Moses was 40 years old, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What happened here? At age 40, Moses chose to kill Pharaoh an Egyptian slave who was mistreating one of the Hebrew slaves. That was not part of God's plan. Moses did this part on his own because he misinterpreted God's will. God was going to use Moses to save Israel, but not not this way. This is the point that Moses refused to be known as Pharaoh's daughter because he wasn't going to be able to stay in Egypt now. He was going to face punishment for that. He would have to flee Egypt. Moses chose to be the son of his Hebrew mom. He chose Israel over Egypt. Well, let's keep going and look again at verse 25. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I want you to look at that word fleeting. That means lasting for a very short time. Moses was living in and all around immediate gratification and pleasure. But that stuff is fleeting and he knew it. It's here today, gone tomorrow. And Moses had a choice to make and he chose God's way because he was looking ahead to his reward and which was much more valuable and his reward was not gonna be fleeting. It was gonna last forever. But think about how Moses' life changed when he left his humble little home with mom and dad and he goes to the palace and lives with Pharaoh and Pharaoh's daughter and all that luxury. He's not a slave anymore, he's free. In fact, he has his own servants. Moses grew up with the best of the best. He had the best and most of everything. I mean, you think of the things that people in life strive to have, wealth, power, fame, Moses had all of that. Moses experienced that for at least 30 years of his life, but at 40 years old, Moses was willing to give all of that up. He sacrificed. Faith will always involve some sort of sacrifice. Moses chose to be mistreated instead of living in that lifestyle. He chose God's way. He chose suffering. He chose sacrifice just like Jesus did, and just like the brave men and women who have served in our military throughout the years. I want you to think of the sacrifice, the faith in a greater good and the ability to look ahead at your reward that you have to have to serve our country and our military. This weekend we celebrate Memorial Day to honor the heroic men and women who have died while serving our country and our military, who paid the ultimate price for their service in protecting us, defending us in our way of life. Jesus said, greater love have no one than this, than to lay down one's life for someone. That's exactly what our heroes did. I wanna take a moment and honor our military who have died while serving. I'm going to ask you if you have a family member, if you have a friend, or you just know someone who has served in our military and they've died while serving, would you please stand? Look around the room, folks. Now I'm going to ask the rest of you, I want everybody to stand. And let's show our appreciation for our fallen heroes. Thank you. Well, let's move on to the next choice in Moses' faith walk. Moses lived his life looking ahead to his reward because he chose to live in patient hope. Faith is not easy. It does not come overnight. How many of you in here have prayed for greater or stronger faith at some point? A couple of hands. It's like praying for patience. God does not wait for you to fall asleep and go get His magic faith dust and sprinkle that on your head, does He? And patience doesn't come that way. We don't live in the world of the matrix where somebody bores a drill into the back of your head into a USB port, now all of a sudden you have faith and you have patience. God doesn't work that way as much as we wish He did. God allows us to face difficult circumstances that require choice and sacrifice. And that is then what builds and strengthens our faith. Now, this verse that we read says that Moses left Egypt. He actually left Egypt twice. And there's an argument over which one. I think it was the second one, and I'm preaching, so that's what we're doing. And if you don't like it, in the words of Billy Sunday, I don't give a rip. (laughs) A couple people remembered that one. The tenth and final plague from God had just devastated Egypt. Pharaoh finally tells Moses, get out of here and take all these Israelites with you. Here's the problem. Pharaoh had said that before and then changed his mind. And that's exactly what happened here again because after he tells them to go, Pharaoh gets an army together, sends that army out into the desert, and he says, bring them all back into slavery or he'll kill them. Well, the first time Moses left Egypt, he feared Pharaoh. He had just killed someone. There was gonna be penalty for that. Not this time. He leaves Egypt now believing in God who had just performed the miracles of the ten plagues and freed Moses and all of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt that had lasted hundreds of years. Moses had the faith to see him who was invisible because of all the visible ways he was able to see God work in his life. Like God rescuing him at birth rescuing him when he was three months old, rescuing him when he was 40 years old and had to flee to a faraway country to stay safe, and then God talking to him when he's out in the wilderness as a bush that's on fire, but it's not consumed, and that bush talked to him, and that bush said, Moses, you're my guy. I am sending you to Pharaoh. You are going to be the one to deliver the Israelites. You are going to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go, and he is going to let you and my people go. That's why Moses didn't fear Pharaoh or his army when they came after him. But there's another place, there's another piece to this that explains why Moses lived in patient hope and didn't fear Pharaoh. Remember that Moses knew God from the beginning of his life. He knew the history of the book of Genesis that he would later write. Not only could Moses see God's visible work around him, he was well aware of the promise that I've mentioned, that reward that I mentioned earlier that God had given to Abraham and the nation of Israel. So let's look at that now. This is in Genesis chapter 15. Then the Lord said to Abraham, or Abram, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish that nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. Now that promise made absolutely no sense to Abram when he got that promise. So that's Abram before God named him Abraham this nation of Israel, there probably weren't even a thousand people at that point. The Bible says there were 318 fighting men. So this nation had not even formed, and they were not anywhere near slavery. But this made a whole lot of sense to Moses and the Israelites, because they've been in bondage for hundreds of years now. So Moses believed this promise from God because that promise wasn't just for Abraham. That was for all of his descendants and for everyone in the nation of Israel. The Hebrews believed that they would be delivered. And we also have to look at the first verse of this same chapter in Genesis. And this is God speaking to Abram. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. And there's that word again, your very great reward. Just like you and I want to have faith like Moses, Moses wanted to have faith like Abraham. That was his faith, Father. Moses knew the promise given to Abraham extended to him and to the nation of Israel. And God told Abraham, as much as you want a good, happy life and a peaceful, wonderful afterlife, I am your reward. I am your very great reward, not the blessings or the gifts or the stuff of life that we love and long for, I, God, am your very great reward. And that is still true for us today. Moses lived to have a relationship with God like that, and so should we. So how can we live in patient hope? Well, one thing is, if we can get our eyes focused on the end, the reward, but, put the time and effort in now. You can't just daydream about what's gonna happen down the road. The best illustration I can give this for this is everybody in this room probably has a 401k plan or some type of retirement plan. What happens if you wait till you're 65 to start putting in that thing? What happens if you start putting in it when you're 20 and you can't afford it? You're eating ramen and peanut butter and there's no way you think you can afford that but you've got somebody in your life telling you you can't afford not to put into it now. Thankfully, I had that person that told me that. So yes, you think about your reward, but we have to do things now as well. So a couple of questions. Are you living for today only? Are you living for 25 years down the road only? Because both are wrong. You have to figure out the balance of living in the now while still planning for the future. I'm just going to be brutally honest. Hope is, is not a struggle for me, but patience is. And i got some family members probably giggling right now. And I'm on the struggle bus right now with patience, in particular with the struggles that I'm having with my three kids. My oldest daughter isn't here. She's here. I mean, she lives around here. I see her every week. I love her. She loves me. But she's not here. She's not in church. Got baptized in high school. She's not here. And I'm probably the last last one that's going to be able to reach her and get her back here. And I pray, and I'm not seeing any movement. And it hurts. My youngest daughter should be going through the happiest time of her life. And instead, it is the difficult time. Most difficult and darkest time that she's been through. She made it through some really difficult stuff ten years ago, and now all of that stuff is back on her with a vengeance. And she questions about where is God in all of this, and why won't He heal her? Why won't He take away her her anxiety, her panic attacks, her depression? She's angry. She's scared. And dad can't fix it. And dad, the pastor, doesn't have the answers on why God is letting this happen to her and why our prayers aren't being answered, at least not the way she wants them to, the way we want them to, or in the timing that we want. And it hurts. And then our son Noah, he's 20 years old now. I've shared his story before. They didn't think Noah would live 20 minutes. And thank God he is still here. Jennifer and I have been in and out of hospitals, ICUs, well over 50 times, probably closer to 100 times in his life. We have been so close to losing him so many times, and I have dear friends that I'm going to see this weekend, you've lost children, so I've not faced anything like what you have. Believe me, I'm thankful that Noah is still here, but Noah's 20, and Jennifer and I are in our 50s. And now we've got a new problem that seems bigger and scarier than anything that we've had to think about so far. What if we die before Noah does? Who's gonna take care of Noah? And it hurts. I know what it feels like to get angry at God, to question, to feel overwhelmed, to come to the end of you, the end of me. But in the midst of that hurt, God is with me. God loves me. I know it. I trust him. I trust his way and his timing. Even when it makes me angry and impatient, I know. I know even though I can't see it right now. And I keep looking ahead to my reward. All of you have stuff like me Your stuff looks and smells different than what I just talked about, but you have it. And I hear about it every day here on staff, 24-7, 365. He's with you, too. He loves you, too. I'm confident that Moses felt all of these same things. But he persevered, and he lived in patient hope. And he ended up in God's faith hall of fame. Keep looking ahead to your reward. Keep fighting, keep getting back up when you get knocked down. Let's look at the next step in Moses' faith walk. Moses lived his life looking ahead to his reward as he chose to trust and obey. So do you remember last week, Dave was talking about the conversation that God had with Noah? Hey Noah, build me a boat. Sure. What's what's a boat? Well, that's kind of what we're looking at here with Passover. There wasn't a Passover. This is going to be the first one. So Moses is like, okay, tell me about it. So in Exodus chapter 12, Moses shares with us the specifics of Passover and the Passover meal. And that is going to help explain this phrase that we just looked at, the application of blood. And this all has to do with the 10th and final plague that God inflicted on Egypt, the plague of the firstborn. God tells Moses, I am going to send the destroyer. That does not sound good. And in Psalm 78:49, the destroyer is described as a band of destroying angels. Like I said, that doesn't sound good. And the destroyer's job, kill every firstborn child. Of all people and all cattle living in Egypt. But God gave Moses specific instructions on how to save all the Israelite children. Take a bunch of hyssop, which is a plant like a bush, and you dip it down into the blood of the sacrificed lamb that was the Passover meal. And then you take that blood and you paint it on the sides of the front door of the home and on the top of the home. And when the destroyer comes, he will see that blood and pass over your, chil- your home and spare your children. Hmm, the blood of a sacrificed lamb. Where have I heard that before? Well, the Passover was a temporary reward, a precursor that pointed to the final and greatest reward. Eternal life for whomsoever would believe that we are saved by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Now think how crazy this story must have sounded to Moses. But he trusted God. By now he had an intimate relationship with God and he wanted to please God. And he had all of these prior experiences of God doing all these crazy, wonderful, miraculous things in his life that only God can do. Moses trusted and obeyed, and all of the Hebrew children were spared. How are you doing trusting and obeying? Do you know God's word? Do you spend time regularly and consistently in his word? Do you know what to obey? And if not, what are you going to do about it? Have you ever looked back on your life at the times you know that you encountered God's call or direction in your life? In other words, you came to a place almost like an intersection where you had to make a decision and you could go left or right, and somehow you just know God wants you to go right. Here's a homework assignment for you. I'm serious. This is worth taking the time to do. Write down these moments when you know that God has called you to do something or directed you. A certain way. And once you get them all down throughout your life, I want you to put them in order because God is a God of order. And as you look back on how God has been working in your life, you will hopefully be able to see a pattern or direction that will help you the next time you have to make a tough decision. And the beauty of this exercise is it will remind you that God loves you, that he has been with you, every step of the way that he's active all around you all the time that that he he cares about everything in your life and every decision that you have to make and as you see all he's done in the past you'll have confidence when he leads you to the next point in your life that's going to require faith and if you're breathing he will take you to that next point all right if you've been paying attention i skipped a verse and I did it on purpose, we're gonna look at verse 26. I did this because this is where I wanna end. And you've already heard this point over and over and over tonight. So let's look at the last point. Moses lived his life looking ahead to his reward as he chose to keep God, his relationship with God, his number one thing in his life. So verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ, is of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. As I've said, I've said it over and over. What guided Moses throughout his life and his faith walk was his ability to look ahead to his reward, to be happy knowing that he was living a life that pleased God in the present, but also having continual hope about those things that hadn't come yet. He, he had hope and faith that they Israel was going to receive their promised land. He had faith and hope that the nation of Israel would save all of the other people and nations on the earth. And finally, he had hope that he was going to continue to have relationship with God in the afterlife. Whatever that may look like, because Moses didn't know much. In other words, Moses kept his golden fork You east-siders know what I'm talking about there, right? There's better coming, and Moses knew that. So how are you doing with making and keeping your relationship with God number one in your life? First question, is God first in your life? How would other people know that? Who does your calendar and checkbook say is first in your life? Because whoever's getting your money and your time, they are your priority. Are you spending quality time with God every day in prayer? Are you making worship every weekend a priority or only when you feel like it? What are you doing daily and weekly to protect the reward of heaven that God has waiting for you? This is a big one. Are you able and prepared to share your story of receiving Jesus so that God can use you in your testimony to draw his lost children to him? And if you're struggling with any of the questions that I just asked you, what are you gonna do about it? I told you, faith is hard. There is no easy button, right? It takes time, it takes work, and at the heart of it, it's really, it's all about relationship. I hope this message encourages you to live your life looking ahead to your reward, growing in your reward, and protecting that reward. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I want to leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul, and may we all be able to say these words when we come to the end of our lives. I have fought the good fight I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. There's that reward that we've been talking about. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Amen. Father, I thank you so much for the life Of Moses and the example of faith that you gave us with him. I thank you for the people that you've placed in my life that have lived their life like Moses. Lord, I know I'm not asking for something easy. You're not going to just sprinkle that faith dust on our heads, but I pray that you would strengthen our faith, Lord, and help us get through the trials and the decisions that we're all going to have to get through to grow in our faith with you. But it's all going to come down to can we grow? Will we grow? in our relationship with you, and, and live with you first in our lives. And that's what I pray for, God, that we will do that so that we will receive our reward, but also so that we can hand that reward to all these lost people that so desperately need you. And I pray all of this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.